Let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, and let's pray. Father, we uh, just want to thank you for this passage of Scripture. Lord, we pray that you'd open our heart and open our ears, Lord, this morning, and just speak to us, Holy Spirit. And Lord, just as the disciples and many disciples, Lord, were on that hill that we see pictured on the, on the screen in front of us, Lord, as they were sitting there and listening to you, God, may we do the same right now. And so thank you, Lord, for your word. Have your way in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This picture that you see is a picture that I took in 2020 when we were over in Israel. And it's in the northwestern part of the Sea of Galilee. And as you can see, there's mountains all around on the other side, which is uh, toward uh, Syria and Lebanon, or I'm sorry, Syria is over in that direction. But all around the Galilee and all down through the Jordan Valley is a mountain range. In fact, there's a rift. Uh, uh, there's actually a tectonic plate going right down the center of the Jordan Valley. And so if there's ever an earthquake and that thing busts open, it's going to be really interesting. Um, but anyway... Uh, Right here in this area is where we believe that Jesus, somewhere in that area, is where he gave this Sermon on the Mount. A Sermon on the Mount. He, he did it on the hill and, and, the, and the mountain. And behind this, there's, it goes up even more. But we'll find out today, this morning, that Jesus took his disciples and went up into that mountain, and he found a level ground, and he taught them there. But let's just read through the first 12 verses. I think that's all we're going to get through today. But let's look at that together. So last week, we looked at Jesus' calling, um, you know, he, him beginning his Galilean ministry, and he called uh, Peter and Andrew and James and John into the ministry. And it says that now, and, and um, we'll talk more about this in a minute, but let's just read it. And seeing the multitudes... Jesus went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him, and then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted, and blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled, and blessed are the merciful. For they shall obtain mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you. Notice, falsely for my sake, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Very interesting passage, one that I'm sure we have read uh, often and, and know fairly well. One thing you need to understand, just as a way of understanding where this passage sits in the scripture, is between chapters 4 and chapter 5, there are actually 12 different events that occurred in the life of Jesus. 
So we're not, Matthew's gospel, remember, is not necessarily chronological. There is some chronology to it, but a lot of times things are a little bit out of order, and sometimes there's things in between that are covered in the other gospels. And remember I said the gospels are like a jigsaw puzzle. Once you take them all together, especially the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and you put them together, all the events, the events of Jesus' life can be laid out in a chronological form. And so there are literally 12 different different things in Jesus's life and ministry that happened between chapter four and chapter five. But I really just want to focus on one of those, the very last thing that happened prior to this chapter in chapter five, and that is what's recorded for us in Mark's gospel, chapter three. Now, I'm just going to read this to you. You can write it down if you want. But right prior to this event, it says that Jesus went up on a mountain. And this is Mark chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. He went up on a mountain and called to himself those who himself wanted. And and they came to him, and then he appointed twelve that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach, and to have power, and heal sicknesses, and to cast out demons. And he lists the names of the apostles there. And um, I want to go down now uh, to Luke's uh, gospel. And the parallel account to this, I think, gives us a little bit more information. Let me read it to you. Again, it's the same thing, but just a little more information. And I think it'll make sense to you why we're reading this. Because as Jesus speaks of his disciples coming to him and being up on the mountain, he'd only had four disciples. Four that he had called anyway. We learned about that in chapter 4 of Matthew. But now it says that his, his disciples came. Well, his, all, the, all the disciples weren't called yet. And so this, here in Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 12, is when he does call them all. In addition to the four that he already called in chapter 4 of Matthew. Notice, read with me in, from Luke 6. It says, Now it came to pass in those days that Jesus went up to the mountain to pray, and he continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself. And, and these are a great number of disciples. Okay, not just the 12. We're so familiar with the 12, but Jesus had a lot of disciples. But notice, and from them, from them, he chose 12 who he also named apostles. And we're given those names. Simon, who he also named Peter. And Andrew, his brother. James and John, we know the sons of Zebedee. Philip and Bartholomew. Matthew, the tax collector. And Thomas. And James, the son of Alphaeus. And Simon, called the zealot. And Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who also became a traitor. And notice in verse 17, it says, And he came down with them and stood on a level place. So now he's just got those small group of men with the crowd, excuse me, of his disciples, and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast, Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him. And he healed them of their diseases, as well as those who were tormented with unclean spirits. And they were healed, and the whole multitude sought to touch him, for power went out of, from him, and he healed them all. And so this Jesus is up in this mountain and he comes down to a level place in an, in an area, and I showed you a picture of what that might have been, But he comes, and this place that he came to was this place near Capernaum. And Capernaum is right on the northwest side of the 
a Sea of Galilee, and somewhere in this area, right over in here, right to the, um, uh, the southwest of Capernaum, is that picture that I showed earlier when, um, that was up on the screen. And we believe that's where uh, Jesus gave this sermon. And Matthew 5 through 7, those three chapters are what were called, or what, what is called as the Sermon on the Mount, because that's where Jesus taught them, was on the mountain right there next to the Sea of Galilee. And so, and the Beatitudes, they are called because blessed. Whenever you see blessed are or blessed be, those are Beatitudes. And Beatitudes are principles and administrations of the kingdom of heaven. It's the manner uh, in which a a born-again citizen, hopefully all of us, in the kingdom ought to live. It's how we ought to live. To put it another way, the Beatitudes are attitudes that are to be exemplified in the life of the believer, and they are different from the world, aren't they? They ought to be. A believer in Jesus has a different worldview. We have a living hope in Christ. We have a faith in God which the unbeliever doesn't have. And it ought not to surprise us that the world doesn't understand us Christians. They don't understand us because we walk to the tune of a different drummer. <laughs> we walk in accordance to faith in God and in Jesus Christ and the Word of God. But the world has their own Pied Piper, and his name is Satan. And many outside of Christ may not worship the devil directly, but let me share this with you, that when they love the systems of the world, when they love its lack of morals and the worldview of the world, they are are standing at the altar of Satan. They don't realize that. They they just think it's fun and games. But you you are either for God or you are against him. You are either in Christ or you are apart from him. And we have to make the decision, where are we going to be? Where are we really? And, And shouldn't we be telling people and warning them of the wrath to come? Yes. Nobody likes to talk about that. Everyone wants to tell you, oh, God loves you. Yes, I know that you're, you're having an adulterous affair, and I know that you're a drug user and that you're involved in homosexual behavior. But, you know, God loves you. Don't change. Just stay the way you are. No, God does love them, but is he, is he happy with what they're doing? No, he's not, because real love will tell somebody when they're going astray, because that will kill them. Eventually, it'll lead them away from him. And ultimately, it will lead them into hell. And, and, and God says that he's, it's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance through faith in Jesus Christ. And these things hurt us. They kill us. And the last thing God wants is to be parted from you. Yes, he loves us that much. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That is the heart of God. And people don't understand that. The people who are banging on the doors and breaking into things, all these people, they don't get it. And yes, we're frustrated. I am. But God loves those people. He doesn't approve of their sin. But he loves them. He loves them dearly. He came and he died for them. That is why there is a spiritual battle right now in our country concerning abortion. God calls it murder and the world calls it health care. Think about that. Health care for who? Seriously, the percentages of women who are actually going to die if they have birth are so infinite, it's not even worth talking about. Honestly, that those are the facts. So it's not about health care, it's about convenience. 
And it's about, I don't want my life to be inconvenienced by this child. I've got a career ahead of me. I'm still young and, you know, I want to play the field and I want to go have fun and I want to do all this stuff. Well, you know what? Then you should have thought about that before you laid in the bed with that other person. You should have thought about that. You should have taken precautions. You know, abstinence is still a good thing to to do. The most popular thing in the world, right? Abstinence. No, it's not. Right? That's why there's so many problems. But as Christians, we need to follow Christ. And that means believing what he said, believing what he did. We need to obey God and his word. Jesus, uh, or James, Jesus' half-brother, said, Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So we have to be careful about that. And one of the biggest problems in the church today in America is that she has invited the world into the church and has become more worldly instead of holy. She has allowed everything to come into the church. Uh, Churches in our area, and hopefully not this one, but allowing everything, just anything, just come on in, you know. I mean, everybody's welcome here, don't get me wrong. I don't care what you've done. You could be a serial killer. If you come in here with a heart that's broken, you're welcome. But we're not going to have you come in and say, well, it's okay, don't change. You know, you're just misunderstood. Just continue what you're doing. No. And why is that? Because God says that. Every one of us have to come to repentance. I had to repent of my sin before I came to Christ. It's necessary. God will not accept a fornicator who continues to fornicate. God will not accept an extortioner. God will not accept uh, uh, um, you know, all of these people that we're going to read about. He will not accept them unless they come to him because Jesus is the only way. Jesus said, I am the only way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father except through me. There's no other way. But it's open to everybody. But you have to come to him on his terms. And it's easy terms. Just confess your sin and admit you're a sinner and receive Christ. How hard could that be? Well, it is hard because I like my sin. I want to stay in my sin. And don't you tell me, brother, don't judge me. Well, there's one who judges you, and it's not us. The Bible does that. The Bible does that. And why? It tells you you're wrong. I need to be told that I'm wrong. But many pastors in our country, instead of being men of God, they become men of gold. They're more concerned about their radio programs, their TV uh, programs, their book deals, and instead of the souls and the, uh, of the men and women uh, being made right with God. But these things ought not to be, right? What does the Bible tell us? In 2 Corinthians, it tells us to come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean. And notice, and I will receive you. In Revelation, he says something similar in Revelation 18, verse 4. Come out from her, my people. Speaking of the end-time Babylon that is yet to form itself, that is yet coming. Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. Yes, God is serious about sin. But see, in the world, might makes right. But in the church, when we are weak, then we are strong. In the world, they say, look out for number one. But in the church, we are exhorted to look after the things of others as well. So there ought to be a difference between the church and the world. And Jesus, in these three chapters, gives us the Beatitudes, the attitudes of those 
who are saved. The attitudes of those things that should be working out in our life. And all we have to do is let the Spirit of God do that in us, right? That's all we got to do. I got to believe in Him. I got to be born again. And if the Spirit of God is in me, then I just yield to Him and let Him work in me. And, and, and that's such a wonderful thing, isn't it? Has anybody been, you know, really missed when you were living the way you were living before? I mean, honestly, I don't miss it one bit. I love the fact that God tells me what's wrong. And if I listen to him, my life will be a blessing. But if I continue in that sin, my life's going to be a wreck. And I've proved it to be true. Because for 24 years of my life, I did things my way. And it didn't work out so well. It never does. But let's look at chapter, uh, chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Notice, And seeing the multitudes, he, Jesus, went up into a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Now rabbis, as Jesus was called rabbi by some of his disciples, he certainly was a teacher, but a rabbi, customarily, when he would teach, he would sit down. And notice that Jesus didn't remain with the multitudes, but he went to a mountain, to a place where there was level, where it was level, and those who wanted to come. It wasn't some kind of you know, uh, involuntary thing. No, it was very volitional. If you want to come, the invitation is there. Come. But if you don't, then you don't have to. And see, that's the way it's got to be. There's always the invitation, God giving us the invitation. And I'd be a fool not to take his invitation for whatever he has. Whenever he has something and he's inviting me, I would be a fool to say no. Because I know that whatever it is, there is a blessing attached to that. And I know that to be true in my own life. And you wouldn't be here this morning unless you wanted to hear from the Lord. If you've come here to hear something different, then this church is not for you. If you've come to hear the word of God, then you've come to the right place. But if you want to be entertained and you want something that makes you feel good, then you're, you're, you've gone to the wrong place. You're loved. And we'll love you. And we'd love to get to know you. But if, 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 you're, if you want something different, then you're at the wrong church. There is no greater joy than to hear from the Lord and to walk with him in purity. There really isn't. Can I get an amen? amen? Yeah, okay. Just make sure you're awake here. Notice verse two. It says, then he opened his mouth and he taught them and he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. And this is why we call it the Beatitudes. It starts with blessed. This idea is from a Greek word, makarios, which means to be supremely blessed and happy, Yes. And it's kind of a funny thing. Blessed, supremely happy are those who are poor in spirit? Are you kidding me? Because the word poor there means beggarly or lowly or somebody who's afflicted. So someone who is poor in spirit is someone who is not overly consumed by themselves. They, they don't see themselves above anyone else, but rather sees everyone more important than they. And see, that is exactly the way God wants us to think. A person who is poor in spirit recognizes their own depravity and they recognize their own humility that they ought to have. See, our, our culture says, well, that's just low self-esteem and that's horrible. Hey, you know what? I don't care what the culture says. Because Jesus said it's better to be lowly and be exalted than to be exalted and be made and to be humbled. 
There's only one way to go when you're feeling pretty lowly, and that's up. And we'll see that in the scriptures here shortly. But notice what it says in Philippians. It says, therefore, there is, if there is any consolation, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, and let nothing be done through selfish, notice, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Boy, that is just not an American scripture. It's a scripture the world hates. Because in the world, might makes right. But in God's kingdom, it's just the opposite. And people are stumbled by that. They're stumbled by that. But he says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, poor in spirit, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only on his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Yeah, so I don't look out just for myself anymore. Have you ever noticed that when you focus on self, how miserable you are? For those of you who understand this secret, it is a secret, and if you understand it, blessed are you. <laughs> because when I, all I think about is myself, I'm going to find myself swirling in a vortex, and I'm just going to get flushed. Because all I'm thinking about is myself. Nobody loves me. Nobody appreciates what I've done. I've got this happen and I got this happen. Nobody's called me on the phone and said, I need you. And the Spirit of God is saying, Rob, I love you. Get over it. Aren't I enough? If all, all you had was me, is that enough? And the more I'm getting to know him, the more I have to say yes. Lord, if that's all I have, I've got everything, Honestly. See, we think things completely different. The world has had such an impact on the church, and it's unfortunate because we have drank the Kool-Aid of our wicked culture. In Romans chapter 12, I'm just going to read a few verses. Paul said, For I say, through the grace given to me to... Everyone who is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one of us a measure of faith. In verse 10, he says, Be kindly affectioned to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another. Boy, that sounds very self-centered, doesn't it? No, it's other-centeredness. See, that's our problem. That's a person who is poor in spirit is not thinking about themselves all the time. Man, I, I, I need to be delivered from myself. That's when I find true happiness. But all, when I, all, all I think about is, oh, I got this little mark. I must be getting old. I'm starting to feel, oh, I'm starting. Next thing you know, you're just like a mess. And you know, you're thinking that you're, you're going to die. And you got to go to the doctor and get a bunch of pills and see a psychiatrist. No, maybe just get on your knees and pray. <laughs> and realize that God's got it. He's got it under control. By all means, if you're sick, go to a doctor. But in Romans 12, verse 16, it says, Be of the same mind one toward another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the high and mighty, the holy rollers. No, it says, associate with the humble. And do not be wise in your own opinion. Verse 4, it says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Mourning certainly means to grieve. And when I think of this, I think about the account in 1 Samuel where Hannah, 
It says uh, in verse 1 of 1 Samuel chapter 1, it says uh, that there was a man, a certain man of Ramathaim, Zophim, of the mountains of Ephraim. His name was Elkanah. He had two wives, and I'm going to paraphrase some of this. Uh, One of them was Hannah and Penina, and Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. And her rival, it tells us in verse 6, Penina provoked Hannah severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed up her womb. And so it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that Penina provoked her and therefore Hannah wept and she didn't even eat. And and there she was in bitterness of soul praying to the Lord and, and she wept in anguish. And then she made a vow to the Lord there in Shiloh at the tabernacle and she said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor will come upon his head. And you remember that Eli, the high priest, was there. And he saw her quietly mumbling to herself, praying quietly, and he thought she had been drinking. What a great pastor to have. Are you drinking again, woman? Put the, put the wine away from you. No, she was crying out to the Lord. And so finally, when she shared her trial with him, he said, go in peace and the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked of him. And so God did that. She, she got pregnant from Elkanah and she had Samuel, this prophet that, that the book is named after. And she spent the first 10 verses of chapter two exalting and praising God for delivering her. Because she was mourning, she was comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And there is someone here, no doubt, many of us, that are mourning. And God wants to comfort you. I want to tell you, he understands what's happening in your life. He knew it before it even happened to you. But please understand that God loves you, and he allows things in our lives to to turn up the heat sometimes to get us to look to him. Because when you come to an end of yourself, that's a great place to turn is to God. And I'm learning that before I even get to the end of myself, I'm going to turn to God. Instead of at the end when I've exhausted all of my mental faculties and all of my resources and my tear ducts have dried up because of all my tears, I want to come to the Lord before then not at that point, but by all means, come to him whenever. If you've exalted, or uh, excuse me, if you have uh, exhausted all of your resources, come to him. Come to him. Get it over. Get it out to the Lord and be steadfast in prayer and wait upon him. He will comfort you in due time. It tells us in Ecclesiastes, better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For what is the end of all men? And the, and the living will take it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter. For by a sad countenance, the heart is made better. Isn't that a wonderful secret? There's only one way to go when your heart is sad. Do you know that feeling when you've been sad and then the Lord lifts you up? What a great and wonderful feeling that is. I would rather be there going from a place of of being mournful and hurting and then God bringing comfort to me than to be having the party and then the next day waking up without my wallet and ending up on some place I don't even know where I'm at. (laughs) Which were some of us before we came to Christ. I 
One of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 30. It says, For his anger is but for a moment, but his favor is for, is for life. And weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. That's wonderful, isn't it? Blessed are they who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And certainly uh, part of this is mourning for our own sin. Mourning for our own condition. Mourning for the fact that my life, uh, apart from God, is a complete mess. And anybody who's really honest will tell you the same thing. The most wealthy people in the world aren't usually the most happy people. Everybody thinks that money will solve everything. Money doesn't solve anything. It may get you the things that you need, the toys and the things that you need to live, but apart from that, there is nothing but emptiness unless you know Christ. Nothing but emptiness. Verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This is a wonderful beatitude because the word meek is not a word that the world loves, and it's often misunderstood. Just because the word meek sounds like the word weak doesn't mean that they are one and the same, because meek means something completely different. It means to be mild or gentle or humble, relying on God rather than our own strength. Uh, that's what it means, and someone here needs to hear that. Meekness. It's a trait I desire to have more in my character right now, honestly, is meekness. Because too often I'm frustrated and even angry at the things going on in the world. And a lot of times I just want a pound of flesh. I just want to get even. I want to... And that's not the way the Lord would have me to think. This is something I need more in my life. Perhaps you feel the same way. I need more meekness in my life. The Bible tells us in Numbers that Moses was very meek above all the men who were upon the face of the earth. Yes, gentleness of spirit. It is one of the fruits of the spirit, right? The, spirit, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, and long-suffering or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and yes, gentleness. That's a fruit of the spirit to be meek. To not take things into your own hands just because you can. The Bible tells us in Psalm 37 that the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. And the scribes and the Pharisees of Jesus' day were the antithesis of these beatitudes. They were just the opposite. Jesus said, these men, are, uh, they're full of extortion. Uh, they, they, they go after widows' homes and, and, and the things that a widow might bequeath to the church or whatever. And they're going after those ladies and, or, or men, but usually it was ladies. And Jesus says, but it shouldn't be like that with you. That shouldn't be your focus at all. So the religious leaders of the day were the ones playing the game, and Jesus pointed his finger right at him and he said, you guys are snakes in the grass. You were supposed to be teaching and, and showing people toward the Lord and ministering to them, but instead you become rich off of them, making money off of them. Shame on them. Another way to understand this meekness is power. Great power or gifting under authority. Great power under authority. Think of it like a horse, a big stallion, a huge stallion. 
And yet that horse can be led with a bridle, with a bright, a bright, a bridle and bridle, <laughs> a, a bridle and bit. There we go. Can be led by just pulling on those reins a little bit. This powerful beast that could pull my house down if I wrapped a chain around it. I can just move him a little bit, and he'll follow me wherever I go. Once he's been broken, once he's once his purpose has been known, you can take an elephant and you know who could just stomp on you and make you a pancake make you into a pancake, you can just tap him on his leg and uh, under the right teaching, he'll follow. But blessed are the meek, for notice they shall inherit the earth. God delights in the fact that it's not the strong, it's not the self-confident, the self-assertive that will inherit the kingdom of God, but rather the meek. Didn't Jesus say in Matthew 23, but he who is greatest among you shall be your servant and whoever exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And the world doesn't understand that. It wants to be exalted. Its leaders want to be exalted and not so much you. And that's okay. I don't need to be exalted. I'd rather be where Jesus wants me to be and if that's in a position of authority... That's his business. If it's not, that's his business too. And I need to be fine with that. There's a reason for everything. And this is also prophetic because we know that the righteous and only the righteous will be permitted in the millennial reign of Christ, which is yet future to us. Only the, only the meek shall inherit the earth. Those who are gentle, not the ones that are carrying the guns and, and, and dropping the bombs. No, it's these men and women who are meek, gentle, willing to be led. Are you willing to be led by the Lord or are you still resisting him? Are you still like that dog on a leash? Or, and you've heard me use this illustration before, but I've, you know, when you see that, that woman, you know, it's, it's really funny actually to see like an 80-pound woman with this big, like a Great Dane, and she's taking it out for a walk. And whenever the dog moves, she, you know, she's being pulled. I mean, the dog could just pull her behind. She might as well just put a saddle on the dog. But are you, is, that, is that you when you try to pull that dog and the dog is just fighting it? Or are you willing to just go with the Lord? Or are you resisting him? A lot of people resisting him. A lot of people in the church resisting Christ still. Saying, no, not your will. My will. And that's the attitude of many. But not so for us. Not so for us, Christian. If I am going to be called by the name of Christ, then that means I'm submitted to him. I don't make up my own rules. I don't, I don't, I don't say, well, you know, Lord, I don't believe what you said in your word, but this is what I believe. Well, if that is the case, then don't call yourself a Christian. But if you are a Christian, then embrace that truth because it's true. And if you don't believe the Bible, you've got a bigger problem. But I want to encourage you that the Holy Spirit of God wants to open your heart and understanding to that. Believe me, come at the Bible, come at the Word of God with all of your intellect. Come with all of your questions and all of your intellect. Hundreds and thousands of people have come to the Lord trying to refute the Bible and they have all gotten saved or they've perished in their, in their unbelief. But if you honestly want to know answers and you want to know the veracity, the truth of the word of God, all you've got to do is study a little bit and you'll come to find, just like some of the most brilliant minds of our, in our age 
have come to that conclusion that God, you are who you said you are and your word is true. Your word is true. Do you believe the word of God? Answer me. Praise the Lord. I hope that you do. And here's the challenge, folks, is that we, if we, if we say that, then let's put feet on that statement and say, I am going to walk. And whether I understand it or not, whether I even like it or not, the world is going to hate it because the worldview that we hold to, based on the word of God, they hate And the proof of it is what's going on in our country right now, the whole abortion issue. I mean, give me a break. I really don't understand the mindset of people. That's a human being growing in in a woman's womb. That is a person. That is not just some kind of tissue you can just tear out. And then you see these videos of these women, and I'm like, oh, God, help them. Seriously, I mean that with all my heart. God, help them. Because they are so messed up in the head. They're hurting. Wherever got them in that place, they're hurting. They need to know the truth. They need to know the love of God. And see, we got to be careful, folks, because yes, it does anger us, and it should, because we're seeing what the devil is doing to these people. And it makes us mad and makes us angry, but we've got to approach them with love and compassion. I mean, you don't have to agree with them. No, you don't agree with their, what they're thinking. But you got to be willing to say, you know what? I love you and God loves you. I can't approve of what you're thinking, what you're doing. But God loves you. You don't love me, you're just a bigot, you know, and they, they get all upset. That, you know, then what can you do? You know, all you can do is keep your heart soft. Folks, let me just say something. Because this is something that I struggle with. And maybe you're better than me, and I don't doubt that. (laughs) We have to be really kind. I haven't been that kind. Sometimes, and and maybe outwardly I've been kind, um, but in my own family, in my own house, sometimes I get frustrated. I need to learn and remember love and kindness. And the world we live in, that's what they need to see. They don't need to see us, you know, I think you understand what I'm saying. There's, there's a time, I mean, that doesn't mean that you, that you shrink back and you don't uphold truth. No, you have to do that. Regardless of what they're screaming and yelling at, you've got to make a stand on the truth of the word of God. You can be loving, but you can be firm in your lovingness. You can be firm in love because love will put up a wall and say, no further I love you enough to tell you the difference and to tell you the truth. And God does that. He puts up the walls and says, don't go any further. And they press against those walls and they break them down. And God has to judge them at some point if they don't turn and repent of their own sin. Yes, he will. Because he's a God of love. And I need that more than ever today. Is there anybody else who needs that love? Honestly, just raise your hand if you need that love the love of God instead of anger and frustration. I need that. I'm going to be honest with you. (laughs) I need it. Blessed, verse 6, are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Do you hunger and thirst for it? Or are you content in your debauchery? Are you content in your sin, whatever it is, Do you really love righteousness? Do you love truth? 
you know, as we grow and mature in Christ, this will naturally, supernaturally be the result. We're going to hate our sin and we're going to love righteousness because most of us have walked the road long enough in that old nature of ours and we've come out from the world and now we know the blessedness, the truly happiness that there is with walking right with God. It doesn't mean we're perfect, we're not. But isn't there a joy in knowing that you're right with God? When you, at night, you can lay your head down on the pillow, confess any known sin of yours, and to know the promise that he will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Is there anything greater than that? The world doesn't know that. The only way they can get rid of that hurt feeling in themselves is take pills, to drink, to smoke. You know, smoke weed, and they, and they, and they drink alcohol, and they take pills. they got to do that to kill the, the, the hurt and the pain that's inside, but you and I can come to God and, and confess those things and be free of them and be honest with him. Are you honest with God or are you still hiding in the shadows? I would encourage you today to be honest with God about everything. You can't hide from him. You can't hide from God. I can't hide from God. I don't want to hide I want to be right under the spotlight. (laughs) Say, Lord, shine your light on me and remove all the junk. Remove it all, Lord. I want to be yours completely. What does it tell us? Do you hunger and thirst after righteousness? David in Psalm 42 said this. He said, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night while they continually say to me, where is your God? Where is your God? (laughs) Oh, he's very present. He's a very present help in time of danger, in time of need. In Philippians Paul would say this, he says, Yet indeed I also count all things lost for me for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, as garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. And here it is, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformable to his death, if by all means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Wow. Amazing. Jesus said in Matthew 7, ask and it will be given to you. Are you feeling without today? Is there something in your walk with God that you feel like you're missing? Well, you know what? Here's the solution. the solution. Ask and keep asking. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open for you. For everyone who asks, receives. Or do you just come to the Lord and ask him once and if he doesn't answer you like some kind of genie's lamp, oh Lord, give me this, give me that. You know, and then we don't get what we want. Ah, Christianity, this stuff. Might as well just be a Buddhist. Really? Maybe God doesn't want you to have that thing. Maybe that thing would destroy you and bring you further away from him. Can we pray and just say, Lord, if it be your will, I'm struggling with this thing, can you help me? And if it's his will, he's going to help you. And if it's not, you don't want to touch it, trust me. It's like, why would God give me a Bugatti? Number one, I couldn't afford even the insurance or the gas. But I'd probably put the thing in first gear and run off a cliff. 
He's like, no, Rob, you, you, I gave you the Jeep. You, you need that. But that you don't need. In fact, you'll kill yourself. So in my mercy, I'm going I'm to keep that away from you. Don't touch that. Oh, but Lord, I want it. I, want, I really don't want the Bugatti. I just want to be honest with you. I really don't care about that stuff. But God gives me what I need. And I can trust him with it. And he knows what to give me and it won't hurt me. If I ask amiss, then it's going to hurt me and it's going to draw me away from him. But when he loves me, it's like you're not going to give your child something that you know is going to hurt them. Why would I, when I pray to God and he doesn't answer my prayer, you're supposed to answer my prayer, God. I prayed for this. I prayed for a whole month every day. And you didn't give it to me and therefore you're not my God anymore. I'm finding a new God. People think like that. They don't get what they want, so they move on. Ah, but listen, one of the ways of maturity and really knowing Christ is praying and saying, God, and didn't Jesus say this in the garden? Do you think he was looking forward to dying on the cross and being separated from his father for a time? Do you think he was looking forward to that? Even the physical death part of it was horrible enough, but then to be separated spiritually from his father for the first time in all of his existence, do you think he was looking forward to that? And yet he would say in the garden, Lord, Father, if there is any other way to accomplish this. But Jesus even knew the answer. He says, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Yes, the Son of God, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, willingly submitted to his Father. Not his own will, but God's will. And he prayed to him, didn't he? Do you think God would answer the prayer of God? Don't you think God the Father would answer the, the prayer of his son? But Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done, because I know there is no other way. There is no other way. The blood of Christ... So ask and seek and knock. And we've all been around long enough to know this is true. If you're of any age, you understand this. You understand this very well. Notice, blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Well, what are they going to be filled with? Well, the Bible tells us somewhat. In Jeremiah 31, it says, God here speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, he said in verse thir- or chapter 31, verse 14, I will satiate the soul of the priests with abundance, and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, says the Lord. I will see, that's a word we don't really think about, but satiate literally means to fill to the full. You shall be filled. That's God's desire for you. He wants to satiate your soul and your heart. To fill you so much where you're like, oh God, if you do any more, I'm going to die. Have you ever been with the Lord and you're just so blessed to be in his presence and he just, he just ministers to you? And you're just like, oh God, if you keep coming, I don't want this time to stop. Those times may be few and far in between, but when you get those moments, folks, take them. Turn off your phone and ride it. And say, Lord, I'm going to be here with you. There's something happening here. I don't quite get it. But you know what? You've got my heart. You've got my attention. And I'm going to go into work late. (laughs) I'm going to call my boss. Say, God, I'm spending time with God. I'll see you in a little while. (laughs) I don't recommend doing that. But hey, but you know what? It's more important to spend time with him. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying there. Okay, please. 
But it says in Psalm 103, he satisfies our mouth with good things so that our youth is renewed like the eagles. He would say in Psalm 81 that he would have fed them also with the finest of the wheat, that God, and with the honey from the rock, God says, I would have satisfied with you. He would have satiated us. Do you want that? Or or could you care less? Is it just good enough just to have your coffee in the morning and, and have your breakfast and listen to the radio on the way? No, get up and spend time with the Lord. Spend time with him. I love what David said in Psalm 23. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. It literally means I shall not lack anything. I will be filled. Are you filled today? Do you want to be filled? Well, just ask. Ask him to fill you. Say, Lord, fill my heart. Fill my heart with good things, Lord. I, I'm so inundated by horrible things. Anybody listening and just, you know, news and stuff like that? Most of the news is horrible. Most of it's fake anyway. It's, it's, it fills me with, it doesn't fill me with good things. It fills my heart with darkness and frustration and anger. Why not go to the source? Go to the source of all things pure and holy. Go to the source. Go to Jesus Christ. He said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And mercy is withholding judgment from someone to who it is due. Mercy, as an example, is when you get pulled over by the police doing an 80 in a 30 mile an hour zone and having the officer give you a warning. That's mercy. Because I deserved a $500 ticket and then I had to go to school to keep the points off my my insurance. That's what I deserved. But when he says to you, and and if you're going 80 to 30, he's not going to write you a warning. I just want you to know that. My my whole family's in law enforcement. And if you're going 80 to 30, especially in a school zone, you're going to (laughs) die. You're going to jail. Um, But uh, uh, mercy is when someone breaks into your house while you're on vacation and the police catch them and they ask you if you want to press charges and you say, no, I'm not going to press charges, but I do want to speak to them about Christ. If they're willing. That's mercy. Because he deserves to go to jail for breaking and entering But what does the Bible say about God himself? God speaks this to himself. In Exodus 34, when Jesus, or when the Lord was speaking to Moses, it says, the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful, notice, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, patient, and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, but visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. God is a God of mercy. And what does the golden rule tell us? We'll find this in these chapters that we're going to be looking at over the next several weeks. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. Do you want to be merciful? Do you want mercy in your life? Do you want to have mercy uh, extended to you? Then learn to be a merciful person. Isn't that the golden rule? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Isn't that what we just read? But see, God loves to reciprocate when his people do what is right. He says, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. What about the pure in heart? 
Blessed or truly happy, extremely happy are those who are pure in heart for they shall see God. Now obviously this is not speaking of some kind of physical cleanliness because to be pure in heart is something that's spiritual, something that's unseen, it's invisible to the eye, but yet has the ability to express itself. But pure here in this context is literally unstained from guilt. It means somebody who is blameless, who is innocent, who is genuine, who is free from corrupt desire. Do you have a pure heart? Do you have a pure heart? Paul says to the Corinthians, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not deceive neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, Yes, he said that. And God would be canceled today because of that. He'd be kicked out of the, he's already out of the universities, but he'd be kicked off of any social media platform. They'd flag him and say, you can't come back. But he also said, adulterers and fornicators, that's heterosexuals too, isn't it? So it's not, he doesn't just cherry pick and pick on one, one sin. No, he picks on them all. He picks on them all. He doesn't just point one finger at one and go, oh, I really hate that one. No, he says, no, I really hate all of them. He hates all of them. Why? Because it separates us from him. And he wants to be, have fellowship with us. He wants to forgive us if we're willing to be forgiven. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. I'm going to keep you just a few minutes here. I hope you don't mind. I'd like to finish this if I can, just through verse 12. But um, he said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. A peacemaker. If God calls his servants to be peacemakers, and that must mean that God himself is a peacemaker. Is he? Is God a peacemaker? Well, Revelation, uh, or excuse me, Isaiah tells us, right? Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, the Son, whoever this is, we know it's Jesus, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Yes, he is a peacemaker. He is the grand peacemaker. He wants to make peace. In fact, he's made peace through the cross for us. Because I was at enmity with God because of my old nature. Now he has placed his, new, his spirit in me and I'm born again. And through the cross, he has made peace. And I can experience peace because of that. Are you a peacemaker or do you like to stir things up? Are you the kind of person who likes to stir things up? And being a peacemaker doesn't mean that you compromise. We must never forget that because as a peacemaker, you're going to be tempted to, to not tell the truth or only part of the truth so as not to cause friction. But I don't believe that this is what this means because the gospel itself is confrontational and is enmity with the natural man. There is no way around it. But how we present that gospel is all important. The gospel is an affront to the natural man, but how I approach people is everything. If I stand up with a placard on the street saying, you're all going to hell, and, I, and I'm really nasty, and I'm waving the Bible at them, and I got the snarl, and I got, you know, just nasty. If that's really my heart, I wouldn't want to receive anything you have to say anyway. 
My grandmother said, you, you, get, more, you, get, more with, uh, you get more flies with uh, honey than you do with... Uh, uh, Yes, you get, you get more things with honey than with vinegar. Isn't that true? That's right. That's right. It's true. Love them. Tell them the truth. But love them. But don't compromise. Don't ever compromise. You can be lovingly firm and stand your ground and still be loving. You can say, I'm sorry, but this is my line. I can't, I'm not going to go any further. Oh, you're just doing whatever. And you can just say, I'm sorry. You can do what you would like. This is where I'm drawing the line. I'm sorry. You can call me what you want. You can call me whatever you want. I don't really care. But I'm going to tell you that God loves you. And he's told me, he's given me this boundary for a very good reason. And I'm going to respect that boundary. Because whenever I have gone, and I've proven this, and so have most of you, whenever we go across those boundaries, what happens? We get in trouble. Can anybody attest that? Raise your hand, honestly. If you've pushed or gone over the boundary and got spanked, uh, I'm one of those people. I'm one of those people. So the greatest peace that we can bring to somebody is to bring them to the one who is peace, to Jesus. Don't bring them to politics. Being a Democrat or Republican is not going to get anybody into heaven, but bringing them to Christ will. Bring them to Christ. I love what it says in Romans. He says, uh, Paul says, Repay no man evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. But, if it, but, if, it, but if, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. So blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God, or kingdom of heaven. See, nobody likes persecution. You may be lied about behind your back by your family and friends. You may be passed up on a promotion. But those are light afflictions. But most of us, that's pretty much the extent of persecution in America today. But that may not be that way for long. We'll see what happens. I'd like to read one final section to you. And then we really need to stop. And, I, and thank you for your patience, by the way. In Hebrews chapter 11, it speaks of these heroes of the faith. And I love what it says, and, and the author says, And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, they worked righteousness, they obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, women receiving their dead raised to life again, others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection, and still others had trials of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. Isn't that amazing? Now, nobody's looking for those kind of things, but blessed are you when you endure temptation or when you endure persecution. We may never see the kind of persecution that the first century and the first three centuries, actually, the things that they endure. We may never experience that, and I hope none of us do. But usually persecution, all it does is make us stronger if we're really Christ, and you should expect 
persecution. We're called to it, folks. That's what the Bible says. We're called to that. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely. Notice falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And Jesus knew very well. He says, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. Now you've probably come this morning thinking, wow, I, 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 really, I really wanted to come and get blessed. <laughs> Instead I hear this. Ah, but you know what? It's completely opposite of the way we think. But don't be scared by that because the joy and the peace that Christ gives us is so much greater than anything else. And because we're in enemy territory, we're going to get the barbs. We're going to get the persecution from time to time. And it may not be like what happened in the first couple of centuries after the church was born. But folks, even if it is, even if it does get really hard, are you willing to stand with Christ? Regardless of what anything happens to us, are you willing to stand for him? Because of what he has done for you? Because guess what? I know that if my life is taken from me, I've got an eternity to spend in his presence. Whatever pain and discomfort there is for a short time is nothing. I won't even remember it ever again because I'll be in presence with him. Do you believe that? Are you willing to make a stand for Christ in your own heart, in your own family, in your own generation that you live? Make a stand. Let these beatitudes be attitudes of our hearts. Say, Lord, when I read these again, will you do this work in me and help me not to be afraid? You don't need to be afraid. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Everything is going to be against you, Christian, because remember, you're like the minnow. <laughs> and I like to use this illustration. You're like the minnow going upstream in a very strong current. And you're a little minnow. And you're just trying to get to the other side. And everything coming at you on the other side is great white sharks. And you're just a little minnow. And you're working really hard. You got both of those spins just... <laughs> But God is with you. He's with you and he's never going to leave you nor forsake you. He loves the underdog. And he loves you. I fit that bill. I'm an underdog. Are you an underdog? Do you feel like an underdog? I so love underdog stories when the, the person who is going to get clobbered, it's very obvious. Everything in the natural is going, man, you're done. You're toast. You're history. And God says, Really? Have you thought about this? And he does something and the person's delivered and you're like, that's who our God is. Fall in love with him again. Fall in love with your creator because he loves you. Let's stand together and pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for all that you've done for us. Lord, truth be known, Lord, if you did not a single thing for us ever, ever, ever again, if our whole life was nothing but brass tacks and, and difficulty, Lord, you would still be worthy of all praise and honor till our last breath. That's the truth, God. You are holy and just and righteous. And Lord, till this morning, I pray that you would encourage my brothers and sisters. 
I pray that you'd fill them, Lord, with the purpose that you have for them. I pray that they would discover, and myself included, that we would discover your purpose and your plan for our lives and enjoy the process, even though it may be difficult and challenging, Lord. But, Lord, you are worth it. And, Lord, you've given us a purpose and a plan. And help us to be a part of your purpose and your plan. And encourage us, Lord, in these days. Fill us with your peace, with your love, with your grace. Fill us with your love, Lord, would you please? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 God bless.